Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Welcome to the year-end episode of Wheels Off. This week we will be replaying the very first ever episode of this little podcast, Wheels Off wherein I speak with my friend and hero, Roseanne Cash. I feel like it's a great way to wrap up this year, our first year as a podcast. I say our because it's not just me. I have a team, uh, Kirsten and Nick at Revoice Media, um, along with a few other people that they line up to make this all come together and seem really professional. Uh, my manager, Wes Kidd, helps a lot. Um, but mostly it's just me wagging around this dumb little Zoom recorder with a couple of lavalier microphones and sitting on um, floors of bedrooms in people's houses, you know, squeaky rocking chairs on people's front porches. And um, that's really the thing that I love about Wheels Off and the thing that I think separates it from other podcasts that I've listened to. And I know there are many. There are um, an almost uh, infinite number of podcasts in this world now. Um, but this one has been a lot of fun for me to make over the course of this last year. I didn't know what to expect. I had been uh, avoiding this vocation for quite a while before I finally dove into it. Um, and when I finally did, the thing that excited me was just this, having this simple conversation about creativity and the creative life with people whom I admire, people who inspire me, people who make me want to ask them, how do you do it? And I feel like I've learned so much. For what it's worth, I've never made one penny off of Wheels Off. Uh, that may change in this coming year. Who knows? I, I might start doing advertisements. Please forgive me if I do. I have a couple of kids, and they insist on eating every day. So if something in my sphere can be monetized, uh, it behooves me to at least consider the possibility. But I would do this if it didn't pay me a cent for the rest of my life. Because... These conversations fascinate me. I feel like I get so much out of talking to all these people, you know, starting with Roseanne Cash a year ago and Fred Armisen and Rob Thomas and Will Forte. They were my first four. And I felt like that was a really great place to start. They had uh, a lot of different takes, um, a lot of different answers. And that's what gets me. If you've listened to the 22 odd episodes. I don't know if that's the right number, but somewhere in there. 
um, episodes from this year, you uh, you may notice that my my line of questioning is pretty consistent. What varies wildly are the answers that I get. These people have all taken very different paths to get to where they are. I've spoken with people that are early in their career. Um, you know, uh, I think of Trapper Shep, for instance, really young kid, uh, Lydia Lovelace, young, up-and-coming, amazing artist. Um, and then I think of people that have been doing it for a long time. I'm not calling them old, but people that are very accomplished and and um, and well into really cool careers. Michael Shabon, Paul Tompkins. You know, I think about Rachel Yamagata, people I've known for a long time, um, Ben Acker, Gordon Keith, these people that I thought I knew everything about. But guess what? Thinking that one knows everything is almost always a trap. I don't know everything about anybody. I don't know everything about myself. And I've been with myself for almost a half century now. I love these conversations. I love these people. Some of them I'd never met before. Some of them I didn't know. John Darniel from Mountain Goats. I didn't know him from Adam. I had always assumed things about him that all turned out to be, with the exception of him being brilliant, uh, they all turned out to be wrong. I thought I thought he was probably stuck up and cooler than thou and whatever. Guess what? John Darniel is not. He's a nice guy. He's a generous funny, deep, thoughtful guy. And I also find that I sometimes wind up using similar descriptors for my guests. Generous, thoughtful, deep. I'm very lucky. I've been able to assemble a list of guests in 2019 that all deserve those descriptors. And my guests coming up in 2020, I've already got a big bank of episodes lined up in the queue, ready to go. Um, I guess I'm able to tease out some of them. I've got Rain Wilson uh, lined up. And again, it's funny, you think you know people. Maybe you think you know Rain Wilson. I guarantee you will be surprised by the interview with Rain. Tig Nataro, ditto. Uh, Although Tig is a little more of what you see is what you get. I guess she puts it all out there on stage in her comedy specials and in her work. You know, Rain inhabits characters. And so when you really get to hear him talk, it's not Dwight. That's such a funny misconception. I understand it, but it's still, he is not the characters he's played. He's a very interesting, different, complicated man in his own right. Tig also very complicated. She's coming up at the top of this next season. I've interviewed sportscasters, actors, comedians, authors. Um, I've got upcoming guests who are chefs, magicians. They're all artistic. They all wake up every day hell-bent on creating something and giving it like a gift to the world. I'm so proud to be able to present Wheels Off, and I'm so grateful that you guys have all tuned in in 2019, and I hope you will return in 2020 
And my producers would ask me to remind you to please rate and review the show on iTunes. Please tell your friends about it. Tweet about it. Gram about it. Share it with the world. Um, Wheels off. Thank you so much for being a part of this crazy conversation. I'll see you all next year. Lots of love. And remember, create every day. Hello, Rose. Hi, Red. <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, thank you for being my first guest on my first podcast. And it's a pleasure. I thought you might be gentle. I appreciate that I'll about you. I'll be so gentle. Don't be scared. <laughs> Um, so I've explained this to you sort of uh, beforehand that the idea behind this is is we're just going to have a conversation about um, the creative life, the creative process. The idea is that it will be useful for, I guess, creative people and even maybe non-creative people who want to glean insights from how weirdos like us solve problems. So I guess the place that I'd like to start is kind of where we start when we're in you know dressing rooms around the world with each other. I'd like, what are you working on right now that is inspiring you? What's your creative thing? Uh, well, John, my husband, John Leventhal, and my collaborator on many, many things have been working on a musical for four years. We're almost there, almost there. And we have um, someone who's interested in staging it. John wrote the music. I wrote the lyrics. John Weidman wrote the book, who's a Tony Award winner. It works with Sondheim a lot. And, um, who I, you know, think Sondheim is like the top of that. So that was a whole new world. So challenging to write, um, characters who were so unlike me. Um, but really fun. In fact, towards the end of it, I thought I would do this again. In the beginning, I thought I'll never do this again. <laughs> but it's uh, the story of Norma Ray. I don't know if you remember that. She was a union organizer. They made a movie with Sissy yeah, Spacek. Uh, or, Sally Field. Sorry. My mom would kill me. If she loves <laughs> Sally Field. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. It's really about a woman's transformation, and the framework is the union organizing. Yeah. It's very timely, I think. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So we're finishing that. Uh, and then I'm writing lyrics as I always do for whatever songs come up. Did um did you love musicals beforehand, or is it like a yeah. language you didn't speak? N- well, both. I love musicals, but I don't know that I totally grokked the language, like that the songs in a musical had to drive the narrative, or they're pointless. Yeah. I thought you could just do set songs like we write. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really do that. You have to go somewhere in the song. Did, so. did you have someone like a novelist working with you on the story of it? Or were you using Norma Ray as a backbone for the story? Well, uh, the book writer, um, they call it the book when it's a musical, yeah. uh, is John Weidman. And so he was writing the book. But it's a very cl- – and yes, of course, he was basing it on the story of Norma Ray. But it's a collaborative experience. Like if we would write a song, he would change the dialogue, and then he would change the dialogue, and we'd write the song. So it's it's a lot of give and take, more than I realized. There's a lot of rules. There are rules um, in the same way that there are rules for songs. You know, it's like I always thought as a songwriter that once you built your framework for the house, like how the where the bridge was going to fall, what the rhyme scheme was, 
how the choruses serve the rest of the song, then you had to stay within that house, right? I mean, I'm I'm kind of OCD that way. Me too. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I know sure. you are. I know you are. So, um, what was the point? So, when the rules of writing a musical then, right, are stricter or similar? They're they're different. It's like the like I said, the songs have to drive the narrative, and then of course there's that whole trope about the eleventh eleven o'clock song. You know, the big. You know, did you delivery. find you found that to be true? Oh, the eleven. So, in at a certain point in the musical, you have to have like a climactic moment yes. where the song, and yes. it's usually a song about survival or overcoming. Yes, exactly. You know the rules. Do you <laughs> want just... to write a musical? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> it seems really hard, and there's a yeah. lot that goes into it. Did you have to think about the idea of there are going to be thirty people on stage all singing some big thing? Okay, that's the other thing that was the most difficult is to write songs for groups, yeah. like the whole cast or four people in the cast and that they have to each have their own part and everything. It, it's like, it kind of spun my head around for a while. We had one reading last year, about a year ago, and it went better than I thought. It was quite moving. So I got a little encouraged, but we're almost there. We're almost finished. Oh my God. That's, that's crazy. I, I, when I asked you that question, I had no idea that it was going to be such a cool out of the blue answer that's such a cool do you see i found that it's hard to come up with new challenges you know the deeper you get into a career so to you was this something that was like super inspiring because it was so different from everything you've done yeah and yeah it was definitely crawling out on the limb like in the beginning i was really scared like i really don't know how to do this and also it it's a woman's story and i was working with all men that's and weird. It, it was a little weird. And like sometimes they would have these ideas and I said, no, a woman would never, ever think like that or talk like that. You know, they go, oh, okay. Well, then they'd move on. And a couple of times I had to resort to tears to get them to, to, yeah. <laughs> to change something. That works. Yeah, it works. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> it totally works. worked. So well, you mentioned the idea that when you first started it, you felt scared or yeah. – see, I wonder if – because I've, I've always struggled with this and I feel like the musicians I talk to, uh, a, one common thing that we all experience uh, at different times is the feeling of maybe inadequacy, yeah. imposter syndrome. Like, Oh my God, yes. So how does that manifest itself with – So glad with to you? hear you bring that up because I, I, I don't know anybody who does what we do who doesn't feel like that at some point, like just an utter failure, imposter, this is it for me, that's the last good song I'll write, this song isn't as good as Lucinda's, why do I bother? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, Lucinda probably sits there on her new record and says, well, this isn't good as Car Wheels, Lucinda, or whatever. Like, Well, I hope she does. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really dispiriting if she's the only person who doesn't do it. But it's a funny thing. I wonder if that is a result of being an artist or if we are who we are because we're always trying to prove to ourselves that we're good enough. Is that a thing? Well, or, or yeah, I think that's true. Like, I mean, I definitely have this thing of I have to prove myself. I have to prove myself. Do you have that too? So bad, and it's so crippling, bad. yeah. You know, I hate to name drop, but I was talking to Ethan Hawke about <laughs> this, about um, privilege and success, 
and the guilt that comes with that when you know there are other people who are better than you who haven't achieved what you achieved and how you resolve that in yourself so it doesn't paralyze you and you can keep doing your work with some sense of legitimacy, you know? Yeah. It's, that's something to reckon with. And I've been reckoning with that a lot lately because I spent a lot of time in the South when I wrote the songs for the river and the thread and particularly being in the Mississippi Delta and encountering these old black musicians who play the blues and who've played this Delta music their whole life and who never got any kind of recognition. And reckoning with the fact that virtually everything I do borrows from them in some way, and I get all this attention and these accolades, you know, and I it's humbling, and it can veer over into guilt if I'm not careful. Well, there's a lot. Well, there's a lot of uh, guilt to be found in this industry, isn't there? Yeah. I recently heard somebody was explaining the uh, the origin of even the the phrase "cover," like a cover song. Yeah. And and I didn't know, but I guess it was from back when there there was a thing that they called black music, and then they would have a white artist record it, and then the the cover of the album would have a white face on it, and they would be able to sell it. Elvis. Yeah. That's it. That's that's like the microcosm of that. Yeah, I yeah I wonder about that that kind of guilt. I mean, and and so it's funny. It's like the two sides of the coin. You talk about even all the success you've had and the Grammys and the sales and the, whatever. The but beyond that, just the fact of how much people love you, you know. And I and from you and I working together, I've come across it. Just people, the validation that I get from having recorded a duet with you, you know. It's like you are so beloved, and yet. Every time you sit down in front of a blank piece of paper, it's like you're you're just a human being. And see, that's so weird because I thought the reverse. I thought, oh my god, you know, I'm so cool because I did something with Rhett. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. I mean, maybe we all feel like that too. Like just the need to prove and to be good enough. I mean, I had that in spades because of my dad too. Like I will never get out from under the shadow. Everything I do will be compared and I'll, I'll come up short and you know, but the truth is I think it's part of the job. Yeah. And it's part of what drives us. I mean, the sad part is when people are crippled by it and they don't continue. I mean, I think the difference I mean, what you and I have is that is persistence. We just keep showing up for work, no matter how we feel. I was I was going through all my sort of lists of the questions, like what is it? And one of the biggest questions I have is why do we do this? Like why do we keep persisting? And the only mm-hmm. reason you and I have eked out our own respective careers is because of that persistence. That's right. And there's so many people that don't have it. That's right. That's the difference right there. Yeah. Is, is not giving up. So the magic trick is really just that. Just, just showing up for work. What was it? Was it Hemingway who said the hardest part about writing a novel is putting your butt in your seat? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> this book I read um, the, uh, by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. Uh-huh. It's, so, it's just this little book. You could read it in an hour. But it's so much about that, about showing the muse you're serious. The muse will stop showing up if you give up the discipline. But people people say that. Oh, were you waiting on the muse? I'm like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? about? <laughs> the muse just doesn't show up. What was the writer who said? 
They said, do you only write when you're inspired or, you know, or do you sit down? He goes, I only write when I'm inspired. Fortunately, inspiration strikes at nine o'clock every morning. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember as a younger writer, I had this, uh, like I could only write at night. And it, back when I was drinking, I could only write after a certain number of drinks before. So, like there was all these things. And then I had kids. You know, and boy, right. nothing humbles you like that. That's right. So like when you found that you didn't get to dictate your terms, like how did you uh, make it work within the parameters of what you were given? Can you write around other people? Um, that's still hard for me. I still need solitude to write. But when my kids were little, the accommodations I made, I learned to write in really short bursts yeah. and to take notes for later when I could be alone. And I, I actually still do that. You know, I've got so many notes on my phone and <laughs> journal after journal after journal. And I go back to them. Like if I get stuck in a current song, I go back to those notes. Do you, do you, and so you still like to keep notebooks, right? Like physical I have, paper. I have so many, I but I keep a lot of things on my phone now. How can you not? Yeah. How can you not? You can't walk around even a small notebook. You can't walk around with something no. in your pocket all the time. No. Does the digital nature of of what you've then sort of uh, trusted your phone with does that scare you? Does that ever seem no, too ephemeral? I I remember when I first got an iPad, I was very suspicious about reading books on it, and I still don't love reading books just because the visceral experience is not nearly as good. But I set a test for myself, and I reread Pride and Prejudice on the the iPad to see if it was as good a book. Yeah. <laughs> And it was. It was as good a book. It was like a control. Like, I know I love this book. Will I still love it if That's it's right. on a freaking yeah. screen? Yeah. That's funny. A similar thing, Michael Shabin, the novelist, because um, I, like a lot of people that want to write, get hung up on, well, what time do you write? What do you write on? Do you write on a typewriter? Like, all that stuff that in the end, he goes, oh, sometimes I write on my iPad. It just doesn't matter. He's like, oh. I'm like, really? So it oh. just doesn't matter? It's- it gave you permission, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, because we... You know what I think it is, and and my job is to tell you what I think, but I'll, I'll ask you if this is something you've experienced. We come up with reasons to not do the work. Oh, yeah. Every day. Yeah. Like maybe it's even the kids or maybe it's whatever. Yeah. It's hard. So the thing is then overcoming those, right? Yeah. You know what helps me sometimes is uh, my competitive spirit. Like if I hear a song that's really good. I want to write something that good or outdo it. Yeah. So it's hunger. <laughs> it is hunger. That is a great word, and I've never used that word for it. But it's hunger and curiosity that's just this constant fuel. Yeah, curiosity is more generous. So hunger almost would feed into that idea of guilt. Like, what do we have to be hungry for? But, but yeah, it's that. I feel it, too, all the time. Like, I've got to outdo myself. Or- well, I... I don't, I mean, the hunger for creation and to be creative, I mean, that's so human. Don't, yeah. we all have that, right? It's right. just, we're fortunate we know the, the, um, how we want to funnel it, you know, the keyhole that ours is going to go through. So it's not hunger for, it's not feed me, it's help me sort of give something to the world, right? Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, I think it was Martha Graham who said, it doesn't even matter what you think of your work. It's just the fact that you do it. Just do it or else the world won't have it. 
So that brings up the question of the voices in your head, what you think of your work. And this is, I mean, this is something we sort of talked about in terms of the imposter syndrome and the self-doubt. Like I've found that the most, the hardest thing to overcome is the voices in your yeah. head. Um, do you still have those? Sure. I mean, I, once I painted for a few years and uh, I was just the worst painter you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. But I, it was a great outlet because I wanted to test what it was like to not work with words and notes for a while. And I saw that the process was exactly the same. The beginning idea and getting excited, then all of the voices that came in to dismantle it pushing through and seeing where it was going, right? It's the same with writing, same with every creative act. But I actually ended up painting the voices just to get them out and look and see what they looked like. I called it the committee, and they were all really ugly and awful. <laughs> but I still have those. But the thing I've learned from doing it so long is to be objective about them, to recognize it and just go, okay, come back in for the editing process. Just leave me alone for right now. What was uh, Nick Lowe had a quote that that I love. Um, uh, bust bust it out now. We'll tart it up later. He's like, just he's like, get it out now. He's like, get everything out now, and then worry about let the voices in when you're revising because maybe that's, that's when they're that's useful. That's right when you're editing and and cleaning up. Right, John Stewart, the songwriter, not the Daily Show host. <laughs> John Stewart used to say the same thing. He said, write everything, edit later. That's great. Yeah. So. So you you talk about going and painting as a different um, medium. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like your ten thousand hours, or however many at this point thousand hours, do you feel like do you feel like they translate? Like, are they what's it called in college when you get certain credits, but then do they go to a different co- like? So the hours you put in a, as a musician when you go to another form of art, whether it's painting or even writing a musical. I mean, clearly in musical, more of those qu- um, credits are gonna. Mm-hmm. transfer that's what it is yeah um i think they transfer to prose uh-huh. like the hours i put in as songwriting are really helpful when i'm writing prose and i've written some books and a lot of essays a lot of essays um they didn't transfer to painting i just don't have that gift i love visual artists i love visual art and i have a lot of friends who are painters and sculptors and um a lot of different kinds of graphic designers and I admire them so much, and they really inspire me. Visual art really inspires me. But I don't have the gift for it. I wish so much that I did. Yeah, I mean, I guess you said that you were able to sort of uh, imagine the voices in your head as they speak to you when you're doing music, as you're doing art. And and that that's one way in which you can sort of use the experiences you've had as a writer. But like when you were doing Composed, which is so great, by the way. It, Thank it's you. it I could see... The straight line between the songwriting and that. Mm. But in songwriting, frequently we use a narrator to hide behind, right? Or a s- yeah. storyteller. And you didn't have that when you're writing a memoir. Yeah. Um, I did create a perfect listener in my head or a perfect reader. Uh, and I was always trying to please her. Like that line's not good enough. That paragraph is sloppy, you know, whatever. So I, she was helpful. This, perfect reader I created. But um, I did write my memoir as a songwriter, I thought. Like, I kept returning to themes. It was not linear. And actually, reading Dylan's uh, Chronicles gave me permission for that. So great. So great. And he, it was not linear. 
No. And I thought, well, if I can, if he can do that, I'll try to do it. Do, so you're perfect listener. Do you think that maybe she was a version of yourself? Maybe. Um, I don't know. Do you have one? Well, yeah, that's funny. Because I wonder about like 14-year-old me. Like I think about him a lot. Mm. And I wonder if he would be proud of me or what he would think about things. And so I wonder if if my perfect listener is partly is him. Partly him. Because that's when you fall in love with things, right? When you're yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. young and unbroken. Yeah, I had that moment at 13. Like I wanted, I wanted, I, I felt my whole self yearning for something that turned out to be what I do, which I'm so fortunate about that. But maybe she is the perfect listener. I don't know. She's she has standards. I know that. But so you knew that when you were thirteen. You yeah. You knew your calling. But that's a really lucky thing, right? Yeah, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know it was going to be songs until I was eighteen. What about you? Yeah, it was the same. It was thirteen years old. Uh, I thought it would be creative writing. But then I sort of saw songs are fun. There's there there's a compactness. There, yeah. There's an intensity to it. Yeah. And and I've tried to write prose, um, or I, ha- I guess I have written a lot of prose as well. But it's it's a lot harder, right? It's the, it's a lot more yeah. open ended. Yeah, you don't have that structure you've created for yourself, so you can't quite see where it's going as quickly as you do with a song. But I like that too. I like the intensity of it. I like the proscribed area, you know, how much real estate you have to complete it in. Um, and I don't, I like writing in bursts. That's why I like writing essays too, because yeah. it feels contained. If I, I don't think I could write a long novel. Well, never say never. Never say never. Because, I mean, maybe if you, a novel is nothing if not just a, a, a series of scenes strung together. Right, and you can write a scene. I mean, that's, that's true. So many of your songs feel like that. In fact, she remembers everything. To me, feels like a very—I don't know. Maybe it's a companion piece to um, to your memoir. I, that's really good. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I think you're right. It. I mean, it is the musical memoir of this time in my life. Yeah. Do you do you feel like you know the concept of going there? Right, like uh, like. When you're writing a song, it, it's it feels um, you don't want to you don't want to be some you don't want to like sometimes you just let yourself go there. Like you know what? I never let myself do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna yeah. say what it's like to yes. It feels like you went there. I did particularly on the songs that have madness and rage because and I didn't realize until after I wrote them that you know my son went to college. He's in his second year of college now. Yeah, gosh, I can't believe that. I know. <laughs> But I think I gave myself more permission once he went to college. Like, oh, if I'm going to do this and it causes me to fall apart, you know, I'm not going to have to show up at a parent-teacher conference that day. I can just let this happen and see what happens because he's safe where he is and I can just go there now. That's so funny. That's really brilliant. I I guess I've only known you while you've had like a kid in the in the yeah, house, yeah, and so you're right. In the last couple of years, he he went away. You well, I, you've ushered him to adulthood, which is fantastic. I mean, I ish. wouldn't say ish. <laughs> ish. A 19 year old is still a bit of a mess, <laughs> even though he would say that he's an adult. And he actually brought a six pack. He's home for Thanksgiving. He brought a six pack home yesterday. I said, "How did you do that?" He goes, "Mom, look at me." They didn't even ask. 
Like, oh my God, the system does not work. Oh, that's too funny. Oh, what a big guy. But you but you've sort of given yourself carte blanche now. Like you're yeah. you get to be your own person. Well, and also I was just generally pissed off in the last few years. Yeah. Can I say that on the your Oh podcast? yeah, of okay, course. Okay, good. <laughs> um you know, uh, I thought that progress was an arrow that went in one direction. No. no, it's not. It requires a lot of attention to keep it going in that direction. And I thought that a lot of things would change in my life that haven't changed. And as the mother of daughters, mm. it just breaks my heart what's happening to women right now. And even Jake, even my son, like when he was filling out his college essay, they said, what is the one thing in the world you would change if you, you could? And he wrote sexism. That's I couldn't believe it. I love him. I love him too. What a good kid. What a good kid. Like he had to, and he said, it's because I have a mom and four daughters and I see how it hurts them. Yeah. Oh. It's like, oh, please take over the world, you know, <laughs> now. I know. Like now. Oh, that's so sweet. So... Do you this this is out of left field, but it's a theory of I've had for a while. I sometimes wonder if every song I'm writing, every song we write, is kind of a, the same song. Like, is it some different version of the same song? Is there? You talk about your perfect reader for your book uh, and the yeah. perfect audience for these songs, and I don't know that I have an answer for this. But when you talked about, you know, you talk about trying to come out of your dad's shadow, that sort of reminded me of you know my. I have a lot of issues with my own dad and like that thing of proving oneself. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there is like this thing inside of you that is kind of disconnected from you that's trying to get out? That is this sort of what, like an engine that's making you make art or do you feel like, I mean, it's not a conscious, it's not like a, you're not doing it for money. That is such a good way to put it actually. The engine, like a creative engine. And sometimes you even want it to just stop yeah. so you can get some rest. And, um, you know, it can be, it can actually torment you in some ways. But that's, I've never heard it put like that in Injim. That's absolutely correct. Thank you. <laughs> There's a reason I do podcasting. <laughs> You're like the podcast king, oh, right? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, well, I, I really appreciate this. I feel like I could talk to you forever, and I have no idea if we've been going for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or what. Me either. That's just a good I conversation. I think I've asked you one question. That you wrote down? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'd rather not even worry about questions. But um, um, Are you on the road, by the way? Oh, my God. A I, lot. I leave a week from today for three weeks with the band. And I'll do, on those gigs, I do a solo set. Then we have a magician who's going to be great. Oh, my God. And that's then I, so great. And then I do, then the band comes out and does a set. So I'll that's be doing lot. like two and a half hours of perf- that's a lot. performing. But How does your voice hold up? You know, it's weird. Since I stopped smoking and drinking. It's good. It's, I, I mean, knock wood. I can feel like I can get away with whatever I want. Yeah. Mine are kind of, my vocal cords are kind of like iron right now for whatever reason. Isn't that great? Yeah. Well, enjoy it while it's, I know. know. God, knock wood. I know, knock wood, right? Well, Tony Bennett. Yeah. What is he, 90? Still singing beautifully. It sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So I do know that there was one uh, place I wanted to go before we wrapped up. Mm hmm. Um, You've always been really generous to me and, um, and I've, and I've seen it with other people too. If you were, to come across a 21-year-old version of yourself 
but working today and someone that was coming to you and asking for mentorship oh. or guidance or advice. I know. And this is, this can be a kind of a dark question. Um, and they wanted to do some version of what you do and they had the kind of dreams that you have. Well, what would you tell them? There are two parts to that question because one is just about the work and that creative engine you're talking about. And the other part is the music business. Mm. And it's changed so much, as you know. And I think for a young person, navigating that is now part of the work. Like, because you're going to write songs to play in your living room or you're going to try to get them out there and do this for a living. And if you are, how do you get above the digital noise? And I don't know sometimes. I just don't know. I mean, I think about it myself. How do you get a record above the digital noise and actually be fairly compensated so that you can do it professionally? I see so many young people drop out because they're so discouraged and they can't pay the rent. Do you, years ago, Bowie gave a quote to Rolling Stone where he predicted um, the death of the industry as we know it and the upside to it being, and something that I've sort of noticed that the people who, and this sounds so uh, judgmental in a way, but the people who are maybe in it for the wrong reasons, the people who are in it to try and get rich or the brass ring or whatever, that they would stop doing it. Do you, I mean, do you see any value to the idea that maybe if you strip away the obvious um, payday, that maybe the people that are left are the people who really have no choice? That there's a natural vetting process that yeah. happens, like, yeah, like um, evolution. Um, no, what's it called? Darwin. Uh, Darwinism uh, or the uh, survival of the fittest? Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. That sounds a little yeah. self-aggrandizing in a way. Yeah, because if you can't eat. Yeah, because I know this kid who is as passionate as we are and he's selling CDs out of the back of his truck, you know? It's mm. like, how how do they navigate it? I mean, as far as the work goes, I would just say, as we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, just keep showing up for work. Don't let your inner voices dismantle you. Persistence and dedication. Just want to become a better writer, a better singer, you know? Just Get like Martha Graham says, just put it out in the world because the world won't have it if you don't and we need it. Whatever that work is. I love that. Yeah. When you were young, did you have when you talked about being thirteen years old, did you have an epiphany moment um where it all crystallized for you like I, I have to create. Like mm-hmm. this this has to be my life. It was a dream. Ooh. Yeah. I dreamed uh that my mother and my grandmother were playing cards and then they played cards their whole life until their deaths. And that's all they did. And in my dream, I became terrified that I would be a card player and that I wouldn't do this thing that we're talking about. And I woke up and I made this vow to myself, I'm going to follow whatever that incredible longing is that I don't even know. It's just amorphous. There's no shape to it yet, but it's so intense. I'm going to follow that. I'm not going to be the card player. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it was good. I still remember it to this day. It keeps me going. So you have found, or I'll, I'll, I'll put make it a question. Have you found that creating is the thing that gives meaning to life? I mean, is that too simplistic? 
No, that and children. <laughs> you know, that's a creation in itself, right? Yeah, I know a record producer who said the best things in life have to do with little children, and oh. he was a great, famous record producer. Oh, that's know? yeah, yeah. So it's both, right? Yeah. It's love, little children, and creation. Uh, well, you've done a good job with all of it. No, well, so have you. No, How old thanks. are your kids? Max just turned 15 this week. Good luck with that. Yeah, I Is know. Is he a good kid, though? He's, he's, I think he's probably a lot like Jake was when, when you and I first... So sweet. Yeah, he's a sweet guy. He's sweet. You know what? He treats his little sister with love and respect and makes her laugh all the time. And that's all I can hope for. And Soleil that's... is 12, and she's hell-bent on becoming president someday. And we hope she does. I hope so. She's such a good person. Yeah. <laughs> Tell her to stay on the straight and narrow so she can survive the background checks. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Although that doesn't matter anymore, does it? I guess not. Oh my God. <laughs> Well, Rose, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you were my first guest. Thank you. Oh, I love you, Rhett. Oh, I, I love you, too. I happy to be the first guest. Honored. Thank you. Well, I think that uh, someone will listen to this and be inspired by you. I hope so. Great. And by you. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.